This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, my voice is not a hundred percent yet, so I'm going to be a little bit. Uh, this is going to be a little more like easy, easy listening jazz station today instead of uh, you know rocking out with all the craziest rock and roll tunes uh, i just i don't have the full vocal range yet i was uh, and team thank you very much for joining me um i'm sorry i've been out for a few days i was so sick uh i had i had the flu uh and i had those the a couple of days where i was uh shaking you may have seen me saturday morning I actually did a i mean a couple of you may have seen i did a fox and friends hit and that was when i woke up with with the full-blown flu the night before i i started to feel funny on friday and uh, and really, actually, Thursday night, I, I had my first uh, sense that something was going wrong. You know, my throat was a little scratchy. So it was really Thursday. It started to come on. I pushed through Rush on Friday, had a good show Friday. And then and anyway, I woke up Saturday morning. I went to do Fox and Friends. I had a fever. I was shaking when I woke up in the morning with chills. And I had a fever. And I, I just sort of figured, well, maybe it's really early in the morning. And I'll feel better when I get home. But I'll go do this. I'm lucky I didn't pass out on air. I'm telling you, it was... And it was a short hit, but it was, whew, man, no fun. So it has been a uh, a tough couple of days on that front, and I'm still recovering here. Of, of course, also because it's New York City, and I just I share these stories with you mostly so that you can appreciate wherever you are, as it is uh, most certainly more tranquil than where I have been. So I've been stuck in my tiny apartment in New York City, and. Uh, for whatever reason, the day that I'm sick, all I want, you know, I can't do radio, which bums me out. All I want to do is rest and relax. And sure enough, on on Monday, they began to open up the street right underneath my window. I'm hoping it, you won't hear it tonight. Uh, but they have they had multiple jackhammers going all day from 7:30 in the morning until about 6:30 o'clock, uh, 6:30 p.m. at night. Um, so that was not helpful for somebody who's trying to rest and recover and there's nowhere to go. So what do you do? You know, uh, uh, Baba Buck doesn't have it in the budget to get a hotel room. So I had to just, uh, stick it out and put earplugs in. And it was, it was really a special form of torture. I can tell you that, but I am so glad to be back on the air finally after the longest, I think the longest sick, uh, sick leave I've taken since I've been at the blaze of three days. I think I might have missed two days before, but never three. Uh, so I'm so glad to be back with you. I know there's a lot that we haven't even talked about yet. Uh, I've got some guests today, too. So we're going to be trying to catch up on uh, some happenings from the last few days. We got the uh, Gorsuch uh, Supreme Court nominee. Um, and 
we've got Trump being Trump, all kinds of stuff going on that we haven't really had much of a chance to discuss yet because I have been out. But I want to take this chance because I think some of you had already seen this on, well, because I posted it on Facebook and you may have seen it uh, elsewhere on Twitter or if you're someone who happens to read the trade magazines and such, that you, you would know about this. So it's very exciting. And I'm, if, if my voice at all sounds, if I sound at all subdued today, it's because I'm still, I feel a lot better, but I'm still not, not there yet. I'm not 100%. You know, I'm a little fatigued and it's been, it's been a stressful week for a number of reasons. Uh, but I'm very pleased that today I will, or to, uh, today I can tell you all that uh, I will be going into national syndication with Premier Radio Networks. So what that means is that the syndicator, so a syndicator is, a, is, is the organization, the company that takes various radio stations and bundles them up and distributes a show, or di distributes a show to them. Some of them own a lot of the stations. I'm actually learning more about the radio business as I go here too. On the business side of it, I just know radio. I don't really know much about how uh, these different companies function. But the syndicator um, is the same syndicator for Glenn uh, and for Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. So right now, or not right now, but starting on Monday. So it is starting very soon. You can imagine that means that uh, when I'm, I have the flu, but I am also, my mind is racing and I've got a ton of things that I'm both being asked to do and trying to get done. Um, but starting Monday from 6 to 9 p.m., um, I will be on uh, over 100 radio stations across the country. Uh, this is hugely uh, exciting, and it's something that is only possible because of all of you who listen to the show every day, who have been such uh, loyal friends and, and listeners and supporters of what I do on the show, day in and day out. And it's been quite a... It's quite a a turn of events. I mean, I started doing radio uh, four years ago in, I think it was February or March. So it's almost exactly four years now. Um, and so it's been four years to syndication. Um, it's, uh, I think it's four, is it three years or four years? Man, I got to do the math on that one. I think I've been doing this for four years. I might've been doing it for, th no, that's, that sounds about right. So here I am. Um, now taking on the uh, the reins of syndication. The show had previously, uh, as the host, had been uh, Megan McCain, and they will be putting me in that six to nine Eastern slot. And I'm just really excited about it. I mean, if all of you join me and are are with me in this uh, mission, uh, I know it will be quite successful. And it's an amazing opportunity. And Premier's a great company. And obviously, Glenn Glenn works with Premier. So there's just a lot of, a lot of good things all happening at the same time. Um, it does mean that I will be over the weeks ahead. I'm, I'm not exactly sure when. Uh, we're still figuring out some of that. Um, but uh, I will, we'll, we'll, the, the Blaze, I will say this, my Blaze radio show is continuing for now, um, and it will continue for some weeks. Uh, that's, that's as much as I know right now. Um, I do not, I do not have more on that. And as I get more, I will certainly tell you more. Um, as for what happens with, uh, premiere and with this new show, you know, like I said, it'll be on six to nine. If you don't have a station in your area, that is, uh, a place where you can listen to this. 
then you will be able to download it on, or you can listen to it live on the iHeart app, the way many of you listen to this show, or you will be able to download the podcast. Um, either listen to it the next morning or later at night if you want, whatever you, whatever you prefer. It's also, of course, three, for, for you West Coasters, the show is three to six, which is nice. So it's really exciting. And if I sound at all withdrawn or, or uh, subdued, as, I, as I've mentioned, it's just because I'm coming off of being rocked with a really rough flu. And, and it's, uh, unfortunately, it comes at, a, at a, among the worst times it could have for me with all the plates that I'm trying to keep flying in the air, all the things that I'm juggling at the same time here. It's of, of no surprise, I'm sure to some of you, you probably have the same thing happen. But if you could have picked a week over the last 12 months where I really didn't want to be sick, uh, this last week's high on the list. Um, <laughs> that's that much I could tell you. It's been, uh, it's, has been, it has been a challenge. Uh, I don't know how this happens in life, and I promise we'll get into the news and I'll stop talking about my own stuff in a second here. Uh, but I, I don't know how this happens in life, but somehow I would have thought, oh, well, this is a time, it's awesome, and I, all this exciting stuff, and it'll just be a big celebration. And instead, I've just been you know, coughing up a lung and feeling dizzy and tired and just trying to scrape through the day and get what I need to get done over the last uh, few days just to keep the, keep the engines going while I'm getting ready for uh, for takeoff next week. So that's what's going on there. It's really, really exciting. It's awesome. Um, I am very thankful to Premier for the opportunity. It is, this is, this, this could be a, a really big thing. Um, I, I don't want to overstate it. It's, you know, ra radio is uh, an interesting and, and fickle business, but more or less, if I have, uh, if I have the team with me, I'm going to be good. You know, we'll make we'll make it happen. So I really hope I uh, hope you continue to listen to this show, and I hope you listen to my uh, my show from six to nine. And I believe the Blaze Radio uh, will be carrying that six to nine show in in some capacity. I'm not sure exactly what time yet, what the timing of that will be, but I think it will be available on the Blaze Radio as well. So that's a, a win win for everybody. And. Of course, the Blaze is really happy for me, and they're excited about this. Uh, and you know, the the boys all grown all grown up now. He's taken the reins of a of a big show and uh, going to really hopefully grow it out and and build into new audience. So this is uh, this is what I've been hoping for, team. I've been really looking for an opportunity to build out this platform, take it to the next level, and and really see where I can go with this whole radio thing. And, and I see that now as, you know, I, I see it as, as a real possibility. Um, and I'm excited. I still remember doing some of those early shows, three hours of radio on Saturday. You know, I had very, very few people listening. And those of you who were listening in those early Saturday days, I, I have a very uh, special place of, of thanks for all of you because it means a lot to me. And yeah, I have to say it's been, it's been quite a uh, quite a ride to get to this point. It's been um, between you know, filling in for Glenn that first time, and then also uh, filling in for Sean, and then filling in for Rush, and some of the other. Some of you got to see me. I remember we all got to hang out at um, Man in the Moon when I did a live show, and people showed up wearing Commie Bear T-shirts. Uh, this is all really. Uh, this is what makes it all worthwhile. This this is why I still do something that requires a tremendous amount of energy for me that puts me under a bit of 
strained and stress, you know, day in and day out, just doing a three, carrying a three hour show by yourself. If you're going to do it at a certain level is, is hard. And it's, it's interesting because I've gotten so used to it, but when you're sick is when you actually, I'm sure you feel this about many things or when you, when you're sick and all of a sudden you really need all of your energy and strength and you recognize what has become normal for you or what you can normally do. And I'm sure you know, some of you are practically supermen and superwomen with whatever it is you're doing. Uh, when you're sick, you can't, you don't have, you know, you're, just, you're like, oh, I can't believe I do that when I'm healthy. I mean, never mind trying to do it when I'm sick. So that's, that's a bit of how it feels uh, on the, ra on the radio side. So, um, I, I don't have any real hard and fast answers for you about, uh, what's going to happen on the blaze side of things just yet. Um, I just, I'm talking to everybody down in Dallas, as you know, I'm the last, I'm the, the last guy up here in New York doing a show. So I've been kind of, I've been in remote status literally and figuratively for a little while here. Um, but we're going to see what happens with the show. And, and I know that, uh, the team there and everybody at the blaze is going to make sure that this is, uh, it's just, like I said, win-win all around and it's a success for everybody involved. And, you know, they're very happy for me on the new show and I've got big plans. You'll hear when I'm healthy and I talk to you about this, there'll be a little more swagger and, uh, all that. But right now it's still, you know, I'm still walking around like a like a wounded duck over here. It's not easy. It's been a rough, it's been a rough few days and there's only so much of your life you can put on hold no matter how sick you are. So I've been, you know, I've been fielding all kinds of stuff, uh, in my bed, you know, with, with a box of tissues and a, uh, a big bowl of cough drops next to me and everything. I've just been going uh, as much as I possibly can with all this stuff. So I appreciate you indulging me uh, for this w one opening segment today to tell you both why I've been out. I was sick. I've been very sick. It's not a, it wasn't um, just something that was out there in the rumor mill or, or whatever. I've been really sick. I have great news about this show with Premiere. Uh, the a formal announcement or the official announcement was made yesterday. And uh, we're going to figure out what the, uh, the weeks ahead look like uh, for right now. Nothing Nothing, uh, as as far as I know, nothing changes right now, except uh, starting next week, I'm going to be doing a lot of radio. So <laughs> that's going to be a very interesting, interesting situation, interesting set of uh, of new challenges. Um, uh, phone lines are open today, by the way, if you'd like to call in. Uh, I could really use the uh, audio backup today. Um, my voice, I'm a little worried at some point might just give. I wanted to get on the air today because I feel like I've been away from you all for too long and I don't want you to think that I'm going into hibernation or something, although hibernation sounds amazing right now. Um, but I, I didn't want you to think that I had disappeared. So, and I know there's so much going on in the world and there's, I've just, one thing, you know you love radio when you're sitting in bed or lying in bed and you still have a fever and you can barely speak and you're like, I just wish I could get on air so I could talk about that thing. That's how it feels for me. So... Yeah, um, I would love to hear from all of you, your thoughts on the new show, uh, everything. And I thank you so much for joining me today, even though my my voice sounds okay, but I'm just, I'm not, I don't have the range yet. So it's going to be a little bit like fire. It's going to be fireside chat with Buck today. I don't have the full, I can't do voices. I don't have the full, uh, you know, palette of my usual stuff to uh, to offer up here. So that's where that is. Um, and you know what? Why don't I just get it out right now? We've got an awesome sponsor this half hour, silencershop.com. The best place to go. Simply the best experience you can get, period. Buying a silencer for your firearm 
is silenceashop.com. They know how to process all that paperwork. They do thousands and thousands of those forms all the time. And if you've never thought about a silencer before, let me tell you, it's a great accessory to have. Makes the whole experience more enjoyable. It means that you can be more social when you're out there shooting. You have to worry less about ear pro. Um, as somebody who's got a jackhammer under his window right now, you want to protect your ears. Uh, you want to make sure that you protect your hearing. And a silencer is helpful in that whole process. So really do check it out. It's got a great line, a great selection, fantastic array of options for you. Silencershop.com, silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Team Buck, I'm back in just a few. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. We got some calls up. Let's take them. Susan in Rhode Island, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Good afternoon, Buck. First of hey. all, I hope you feel better soon. I can see Thank you very much. I've, I've uh, had viral bronchitis since shortly after Christmas, and it's still with me. Oh, so man, you sorry get to hear that. Soon. We missed Thank you the you. last two days. Thanks, Susan. Secondly, congratulations on your new endeavor. Thank I you. was with you and in your corner and singing your praises from the very first evening Glenn Beck introduced you on his 5 o'clock program as the Blaze's national security and terrorism expert. Remember those days? Nice. Right. Yeah, I remember. I, I need. I needed a haircut and and jeans that no, fit. Didn't. But yeah, you're for adorable sure. And you still are. You're still adorable. <laughs> Thanks, um, and I'm old enough to be your grandmother, so I can say that. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> Congratulations. That. I hope it goes very well for you. As a matter of fact, I know that it will. You're very. Can smart. I get you to at least, if you can't tune in live, can you at least download the uh, six to nine podcast for me? Of course, but I think I'll be able to get it on iHeart. There we go. That's Even better. I, I heart sometimes. six to nine. I get you sometimes that that when the blaze is buffering and I can't get you on the blaze. And oh, thirdly, okay. I hope the blaze keeps you for as long as they possibly can, because I will miss you at <laughs> noontime. Thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate that. It's very sweet of you, and uh, thank you. You're cheering me up. It's been no, it's not rough, sweet rough at all. It's the truth. It's the truth. You are very smart. I have learned so much from you. I love all of the other esoteric things that you do. Um, When you give us all those history lessons, those two-hour programs, most of that we've never learned. And it's it's wonderful to hear someone give us a perspective on what came before. And it is true. People that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Totally agree with you, and uh, there'll be... There'll be more of that for sure. I've actually learned, I'm, I'm learning how to do a little bit of uh, audio editing and recording at home now to have even greater flexibility. So when I want to do Blaze or Premiere uh, segments, I, I can, might be able to do a little bit of um, 
pre pre production with them, so I can do the history, maybe do some sound effects and things like that, so oh, I don't great. have to overtax the teams. Yeah. Oh, I'm 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 learning. Buck's Buck's not too old of a dog. He still can learn some new tricks. He's working on. Oh, you're it. A uh, baby. Susan. You're a baby. <laughs> Again, good luck. To I, you. I feel kind of old these you. days. I'm like sick. I'm tired. It's like I got oh, city no, noise everywhere. Fine. But <laughs> you're young. You'll bounce back quickly. Thanks, Susan. Shields high. Good Thank you so much. Big hug. You. I appreciate Shields it. high. Thank you. You yeah. too. Bye. Oh man, that's thank you, Susan. That's like cheered me up. Uh, that was, uh, I needed that. Um, so, oh, we only have a thirty seconds. Uh, we will get into some some uh, news here, and we'll take some calls too. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. Would love to hear from you. Whatever you got on your mind, anything we didn't hit this week, you want to start throwing it out there for us to get into. Let's consider this a collaborative effort today, team. Back in just a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, Jim in Ohio. What's up, Jim? Hey, Buck. First time caller. I, I just got turned on to the Blaze probably in the last year, and I've got to hear you uh, several times. I heard you fill in for uh, Rush and also for Glenn, and I've really come to appreciate your point of view and perspective. I really enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Can I count on can yeah. I count on you to add the new show to your your plate of offerings? I'll have to figure out. I don't, I'm not sure about this. Uh, what what is? Well, just it? say you'll download it. You'll make me happy. You don't even have to, but just say you will. Oh, I'll I'll do my best. I like the <laughs> okay. and uh, a, you're a man of your word. Apparently, you don't want to give it out unless you read it. Okay, fair enough. Yes, yeah, sir. Well, uh, I well, I Jim, I I appreciate. I'm sorry, sir. I had a question. Oh, by all means, what's your question? I was wondering, uh, does the shield tie represent like the Roman Spartan kind of thing? Yeah, that's right. The phalanx. Yeah, it's it, we we. I was talking on the on the Saturday show about I forget even how we got into it, but I was talking about the uh, Greek hoplites in the phalanx. I'm also. I, I like the movie Three Hundred. Uh, as as silly as it is in some yeah, ways, I think it's a great where movie. That's I first seen that, and I thought that was the, a link to that. Yeah, yeah, and so if if you're all next to each other, you know, and and you are in the phalanx, I mean, you have to have your shield. And there's the old, there's the very famous Spartan saying, "Come back with your shield or on it," and that comes from yeah. uh, if you were defeated in battle and you had to run you would throw down your shield. The shield that they carry was very very large and heavy. And so if you were trying to make it out of there, the first thing you do is toss your shield if you're trying to run. And so the Spartans never run was the whole thing. So it was come back with your shield or on it because if you were killed, people would carry you almost on like a stretcher on your shield. Uh, so you have to have your shield high if you're in the phalanx, and that's how we kind of... I know some people are like, is it a Star Wars thing? Like, shield's up. And it's like, no, it's not a Star Wars thing. Or not Star Wars... Uh, but yeah, Star Wars right. or Star Trek. It's it's an ancient Greek thing. Um, and yeah, it just sort of stuck. I don't know. It's fun to say. 
So that's how we got into it. And uh, if, if you cowardice, by the way, in ancient Greece, they'd call you a shield a shield tosser, which I've always thought is or a shield thrower, which is kind of a funny yeah. uh, funny thing to call somebody. The Book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul spoke about those type of things, and uh, you know, there's no reference to turning your back on the enemy in uh, the Roman concept. They were always. You know, never turn your back. Always moving forward. All right, Jim, thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. Thank you, um, Mark. Thank you, man. Shields high. There we go. I got to work one in. So, what do we want to get into first today? I don't really want to go over... Uh, I don't really want to go over the news that's already happened too much just because I feel like by now you've probably already seen a lot of hot takes on Gorsuch and you've already seen a lot on the immigration order uh, I will say I'll share this to you a little bit on immigration and then we'll uh, we'll switch on to some other topics um, the immigration order was not particularly well rolled out we know that I don't think it should have applied to green card holders and I don't think that the way that they implemented it was was necessarily uh, was was wise under the circumstances, especially when the moment that you give the uh, the left wing press an opportunity to start pulling photos of translators that have risked their lives and in many cases understand that combat translators do more than just uh, translate. I mean, they actually are are alongside our guys armed. Um, I mean, you know, I, I have a friend who's come on here before who served in Afghanistan with the National Guard, and he's told you about his uh, his translator, you know, carried an AK and, you know, was was also very much involved in, in some of the uh, anti-Taliban combat that they got caught up in. So whenever you give the left an opportunity to start pulling translate photos of uh, photos of um, translators and say what what about our debt to this person what about our debt to those who have who have been allies in the fight in the war against terror there there's a mistake that's been made i mean there's no question about that but i i also thought it was interesting to just see once again the unleashed hatred of the left and the the extent to which the the left is is really bought in wholesale to this desire to completely destroy donald trump um, alongside all of the pre- all the media, all the press, they're they're completely on board for this, and there was almost a glee in the reporting, and you could see it even from those who I think generally try to present themselves as straight news reporters. There was just this this um, absolute delight in picking apart every aspect of this executive order. And then you had that uh, woman, I think it was Sally Yates was her name, who was the acting attorney general in a moment of grandstanding. It's funny, you know, if I were her agent, meaning like in the Hollywood agent sense, I would have told her, you know what, if you're willing, if you just want to cash out, that's the way to do it. Now people know her name. Now she's a sort of anti-Trump hero. Now she's somebody that has zeros added to her paycheck in the lecture circuit. And... She was going to, you know, she's going to get tossed anyway. So it wasn't principled at all. And I think that it sets a very dangerous precedent for how government employees might be acting going forward. 
but she definitely uh, helped herself out from a very narrow, self-interested point of view. So I just think that's an interesting, interesting dynamic that continues to uh, to play out. So we will be looking at that together, team. Uh, phone lines open eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. Uh, do call in. Love to hear from you. And I'll be back right after this break. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. got Jody in Utah online. What's up, Jody? Jody? Um, Buck, are you there? Hello? Yes. Hi. Hey, we're all here. What's up, Jody? Oh, okay, awesome. Um, congratulations on um, on being able to get the, the new indication. Um, you and Team Buck helped me through a really ugly divorce. You've been a major part of my day every day at this time. And while we've got you for a couple more weeks, I'm really grateful, but it's kind of like, okay, now how does my day go? I'm going to miss you if you, if you wind up leaving. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I'm going to be around certainly for a little while. Uh, I don't know how long and I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I will definitely be around uh, at night. And if you're out in Utah, what is that, two hours uh, less than East Coast time? Is that right? Yeah, mountain. It's mountain time, so it's two mountain hours. Mountain time, right? So, so yes, yeah, so you'd yeah. be. It the show would be uh, four to seven, right? Yes. Yeah. That sounds right. There you go. Yes. So you can tune in four to seven. That'll be fun. But it wouldn't. It wouldn't be my mid morning through lunch, and that's that's <laughs> where I have you. And I'm just I'm used to that. It's not that I couldn't make a change. Clearly, I can. But I'm so used to you being that part of my day. And so, but I'm really, really excited. And I am looking forward to more history things, if you can do them. I, yes. That has been an enjoyable thing. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, Jody, I'm, I'm glad that the, the team has been useful and helpful and supportive for you when you needed them. And certainly has been, been the same for me, I can tell you that. So, it's uh, like a you, wonderful Jody, for- family you never knew you had that's right that's how i feel too jody thank you very much you'll tie out in utah good to talk to you uh all right let's let's get into a bit of the the madness at uh, at berkeley so i i've always found uh milo to be he's a, an engaging guy that's for sure we've had him on the show here a couple of times and he he's an inter- he's an interesting dude and he uh, he's joined us before. We've had him on a couple times. If he, when he gets his book out, I'm sure I'll have him on radio again. Uh, his book, there everyone's talking about how big the advance was. So congrats to him on that. And he was supposed to speak out at, at Berkeley. And this is interesting, of course, because Berkeley is the the birthplace, supposedly, of the campus free speech movement. Uh, but it's a very leftist place. I mean, the Bay Area of San Francisco in general, is one of the pockets of the most radical leftism in the country. Probably some people would argue it's, it's, it's as liberal as, as anywhere in the country. New York, it's a little different because in the city you have a little bit of the, 
there's there's the uh, hypocritical leftism that you'll see here of they care so much about all leftist causes as long as you know they can they can enjoy capitalism and make their money and do their thing. So yeah, um, it's very interesting to see how this plays out at Berkeley or has has played out at Berkeley. He was supposed to give a speech, and I've seen some of the footage. The students there went absolutely, absolutely bonkers, which is not surprising. Um, they were, uh, you know, starting riots, essentially. I mean, they've just gone completely nuts. And they are, uh, they've stopped, they stopped his speech. So do we have a, we have some Milo audio, right? Why don't you play? This is him talking about this. Uh, let's play Milo himself talking about what happened. Um, Shaman, do you have it? Not only happened on the American college campus, you know, supposedly in the land of the free, you know, these are these places where you should be able to engage with different ideas, places where you should be able to hear hear speakers. And students who come to my talks who don't necessarily agree with me but just want to hear the other side, they were, they were prevented from doing so this evening by violence from the left, the left that is terrified of anyone who they think might be persuasive or might be interesting or might take people with them. The left is profoundly antithetical to free speech these days, does not want to hear alternative points of view, will do anything to shut them down. My point is being proven to me over and over and over again. It's interesting as well because as though they can't figure this out, uh, these protesters at Berkeley and all the rest, as though they, they can't get this straight, uh, they do an enormous favor for Milo by, by doing this to him. Um, yeah, they stopped his speech, but now it's a national news story. Uh, many have pointed this out already on social media. There's really nothing that they could push for that is more useful for Milo's brand and his cause than than I mean, shutting it down just does does PR wonders for him. I mean, here I am talking about his speech. I didn't even know he was speaking at Berkeley until they tried to shut the thing shut the thing down. Um, you had a group dressed in black and hooded sweatshirts that was using metal barricades to break windows. They threw smoke bombs and flares, and they used a diesel generator to start a bonfire outside the building where the speech was supposed to happen. They were carrying signs that said, hate speech is not free speech. These people are nuts. Um, they also have really internalized this, uh, this authoritarian campus culture that is, is no longer just the campus, right? This is extended well beyond the environs of the college campus. This is now much broader than just something that happens on, you know, uni university grounds and, and college grounds across the country. It, it, we've had eight years of a president who was very much straight out of the faculty lounge. You know, Obama was a leftist, uh, a leftist adjunct professor or lecturer at the University of Chicago uh, Law School. And represented a lot of, you know, in his beliefs and in the way that he governed, a lot of the standard leftist approaches that you see on campuses across the country. So there's there's this part of this as well. It's it's not just that they they hate Trump, as I've said to you. There's also a, a tremendous whiplash that's underway here, uh, moving, moving from a, a very leftist, very pro-left, friendly-to-the-left situation to on the right now you have Donald Trump and there's just all this difficulty uh, that they have in trying to adjust to all this. But 
the, this culture of, of protest and, and whining and babyishness that you see that's been getting so much, uh, so much attention since Donald Trump came into office, I, I hope we're beyond now this pretense that some of the media still cling to, that this exists sort of on both sides, that this is something that you know everybody uh, has to deal with. Uh, this is something that everybody can see as just a, a common, a, a common cultural issue. No, this is this is clearly of the left. Oh, and I I can't let this story go without also pointing out that Trump himself weighed in to the Milo speech or on the Milo speech issue. He tweeted out, if UC Berkeley does not allow free speech and practices violence and innocent on innocent people with a different point of view, and then in all caps, no federal funds, question mark. And this is amazing. You've got a president who is practically governing by Twitter account now. I mean, it's, this is all he has to do is put out a tweet and it becomes the official, or maybe it's not technically the official White House statement, but that's certainly what it feels like. And, of course, now we're all being told, oh, well, that's so unfair. This isn't representative of Berkeley. Well, all the students at Berkeley shouldn't be punished, but they should really do some long, hard thinking about this. I guarantee you there's not some letter going around from professors across, uh, across the campus where they're saying that they want to defend the rights of free speech. And, oh, no, that is not happening. So uh, this free speech issue of Berkeley, we'll, we'll talk a bit more maybe with one of our guests later about that. we got hour two coming up, team. Uh, much more. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Kim Strassel joins us now. She is the author of The Intimidation Game How the Left is Silencing Free Speech, and she is also a columnist at the Wall Street Journal, where she's a member of the journal's editorial board. Kim, great to have you. Hi, Buck. So nice to be here. Uh, Kim, I'm in I'm in flu recovery still, so I'm going to need you to uh, to bring everybody up to speed a little bit on a couple of things I haven't even been able to touch on much this week. First off, <laughs> from what we know, yeah, I've, I've been out for the last few days. Uh, I'm so from what sorry. we know about the uh, oh, thank you, um, uh, the travel the travel ban, even called by some in the media a Muslim ban. What turned out to be true and what turned out to be hyperbole with that, and where where do you see that that whole thing going? First of all, it's hyperbole to suggest that this is unprecedented uh, or in any way unconstitutional. Uh, President Obama, back in a couple of years ago, did his own six-month ban, as it were, or at least a severe slowdown of refugees from Iraq following some concerns about a potential terrorist plot that was uncovered down in Kentucky. So this has happened before. You didn't see protests. Uh, I think it's inarguably constitutional, and when you talk to most serious scholars, they would agree 
the president of the United States under the Constitution has a very wide latitude to take measures in the name of national security, and there seems to be very little question uh, that Trump was within his bounds to do this. Uh, what I think is probably fair is that this was not necessarily planned as well as it could have been. Not enough interagency discussion, not enough organization before it came out. So it was a bit of a, a mess up, and it looked pretty riotous for a couple of days, which did not help. Um, and I think the other thing worth noting is that President Trump was absolutely within his rights to fire the acting attorney general who had no real grounds for refusing to defend this in court. Um, she, The only time that she would have been able to have made that case is if she could very clearly have demonstrated it was unconstitutional. Even she did not suggest that was a case. She suggested she was doing this because she thought it was immoral and unjust, and those are not valid reasons for an attorney general to dismiss the president of the United States. Yeah, no, she definitely had to go, although I do think that she's going to get some sweet speaking gigs out of standing up against the Trump monster. That's that's That was a part of the calculation I would be willing to wager. Yeah, um, but we I want the to editorial you, page said it was a, a, a perfect audition to be the, the new attorney general nominee for the next Democratic administration. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And, and, and in the meantime, you know, the book advance gets bigger when you stand up to Trump. Um, so you got Chuck Schumer's first fail. Uh, There's a piece up on the Wall Street Journal. The new minority leader is likely to go zero for eight in opposing nominees. This is your piece, Kim. Uh, what's What can we say about Schumer and his his attempts to derail the Trump nomination process so far? Doesn't look like it's going well for him. No, and first of all, that is likely to be the case. There has been some last-minute doubt here recently about Betsy DeVos, who's been nominated for the Education Department. We've had two Republican senators who, while uh, DeVos got through committee, both Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska were got to by their unions, uh, who put a lot of pressure on them, and they are now saying they will vote against her on the floor. That still gives Republicans 50 votes, and with Mike Pence, 51, and she would get confirmed. So if there are no further defections, she'll go through, and she seems to be... The only one where there is a question at the moment, Rex Tillerson was just confirmed and sworn in. You witnessed Democrats and a whole bunch of temper tantrums this week refusing to show up boycotting hearings and votes. Republicans chose to play hardball back, for instance, Orrin Hatch of the Senate Finance Committee uh, simply suspended the rules so that he didn't need a quorum so that he could vote through Tom Price and also Steve Mnuchin for Treasury. So they're not going to just stand by and, and wait for the Democrats to do this. And in general, Chuck Schumer has been unable uh, to move a single Republican to come over to his side or sow any doubts on any Trump nominees. And this will be a, a modern record set here, Buck, because it's very unusual for a president to get their whole team. I do think that Chuck Schumer has at least tried to, if not lay the groundwork for uh, derailing the uh, Gorsuch nomination that it, it, he's definitely on record. I saw his tweets the night of the announcement saying things that uh, well, I'm not sure that he could be, you know, a, a, an impartial justice and just just taking some some shots at the record of, of Trump's now Supreme Court nominee. Uh, what, what are your expectations for what the Democrats in the Senate are going to try to pull off and, and try to do? to somebody who got a lot of Democrat votes back in 2006 from the Senate and 
Is, you know, what, Harvard Law School is not good enough? Being an appeals court judge not good enough? What are they going to do? I feel profoundly sorry for a number of Senate Democrats who are about to be have their heads put in a vice grip. Because what you see happening here is a public will uh, to see uh, this president be allowed to put his nominees on the court. Uh, and Neil Gorsuch, an incredibly gifted uh, judicial member of the court, there is no reason, I mean, there is no person in the country who could look at you with a straight face and say that he is not qualified to take his position on the Supreme Court. And that will be the view of many Americans. Yet at the very same time, you have a progressive activist base that just in the past two weeks has ramped itself up and is making clear that any Democrat who does not filibuster this nominee uh, is at risk of a primary. So poor guys like Joe Manchin of West Virginia or Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, these are states that Trump won and won big. They are up for re-election in two years' time, and they are between the ultimate rock and a hard space. And you think he's going to get through? He will get through one way or another. And I think it's interesting listening to Mitch McConnell uh, make that statement. You saw the president come out yesterday and egg McConnell on to simply blow up the filibuster. And that was not necessarily helpful. And here's why. Because Mitch McConnell knows that he's got some members of his own uh, party who are reluctant to blow up the filibuster. He needs them to do so. He needs 50 votes to allow him to change the rules and blow up the filibuster. His best shot uh, is letting this process play out, letting the Democrats hang themselves, as it were, um, either getting enough to, in fact, allow a vote to happen up and down on Gorsuch, or if they simply obstruct, 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 then he's going to have a lot more credibility going to members of his party and getting them to stay behind him to blow up the filibuster than he will if he just preemptively announces it on his own right now. So looks like it's going to be quite a fight. We can expect that much for sure. I also want to ask you, Kim, about this refugee dispute, speaking of, of fights, between Trump and the, what is it, the Australian PM? Malcolm I woke up Turnbull, to this, this yeah. morning. What 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 is give her, I haven't even mentioned this yet so tell everybody the background and then let's let's talk about what's happening here. Well, we don't know how much of this is true and it's important to note that these are simply reports that have clearly been leaked uh, and for clearly for some purpose. So we're not entirely sure the story, but the story is now is being reported by various news outlets is that in the call Donald Trump had with the Australian Prime Minister recently. The readout from the White House was that it had been very cordial and friendly. Uh, reporters are now suggesting that, in fact, it had been abrupt, a uh, somewhat ugly exchange in which Donald Trump uh, accused or rather said that the deal that Australia had recently sort of met in terms of uh, housing refugees on an island uh, was a bad deal that Trump didn't like it, uh, and uh, then he apparently bragged about his electoral results and hung up. Now, we don't know if any of this is the case. Um, again, it's being done through leaks. People who claim to be aware of how the conversation actually rolled, um, the White House has not really uh, addressed this as so far as I know. So, But it's, uh, it's further suggestion that at least that first week, Mr. Trump maybe was speaking pretty aggressively to some other members and leaders on the phone. How would they know about this? I mean, you're, you're in the press. There's got to be what somebody who's at the very 
top circle of the Trump administration who's going to pass this along or the Australian PM's office is passing this along. It just seems like some of the sourcing on some of these Trump stories that get out there uh, seems questionable to me because how would they know? You know, I I heard today, for instance, uh, all these stories that were reported that the other Supreme Court justice that was, uh, I mean, the other justice that was in the running for the Supreme Court, Hardiman, there were all these reports that he'd been made to come to Washington and that there's been this kind of uh, a very aggressive decision to simply leave him hanging until the moment at which he was not announced. Not true. That is not what happened. He never came to D.C. He was told, uh, I believe, in person by the president. So there's all kinds of rumors and, and stuff floating out there. The only thing I could imagine in terms of this Australian story is that if it is true, perhaps leaked by the Australian prime minister's office with an eye to to putting the new president on the defensive, especially if Donald Trump said something that the Australian prime minister didn't like. It just strikes me as yet again another possible moment where we see things we see things reported about about Donald Trump and about his administration, and to look at them skeptically is is not to be a trumper or to be somebody who refuses to grapple with the truth. But I think it's to just see what's happened in the last few months in terms of a lot of the uh, reporting from from major papers, from major networks that has just been inaccurate or false. And to say, well, OK, let's let's wait till we get a little more. Is this is this different? Have you ever seen anything like this before? My friend Charles Cook over at National Review tweeted out a couple of days ago that it feels now like it's every hour. You know, and, and we're not talking about with a with a, a news story that's wrong. And he's and I'm paraphrasing here. But he said we're not talking about bloggers. We're not talking about random Twitter eggs. This is The New York Times. This is NBC. This is major news outlets. It seems to be getting it wrong me, over and over, always in the same direction against Trump. Sorry. Well, that's what you just said is what strikes me is it's the nature of the mistakes. It's not necessarily the volume you could have turned at any point to the Wall Street Journal on the inside page of the New York Times and people misspell names. They get numbers wrong. Mistakes happen in newspapers, although everyone should wish that they didn't. What's notable about all of these is that they all begin from the presumption that the Trump administration has done something wrong or evil or nasty or terrible. uh, And by making those guesses or assumptions, just assuming the worst, uh, they end up getting the story wrong. And that ought to be a real warning lesson to everyone in the press. The Obviously, the the best example of that is, of course, the, the incorrect story about the Martin Luther King bust in the White House. A, a reporter stepped in. He didn't immediately have seen it, seen it, and his first thought was that Donald Trump, the, the quote-unquote racist, must have removed that bust from the White House. And, and those are the kind of faulty assumptions that are getting the press into the trouble they're getting into. Kim Strassel is the author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. She is also a Wall Street Journal editorial columnist. You can read her latest at wallstreetjournal.com. Kim, great to have you. Thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Feel better. Thank you. Oh, wait, Kim, wait. Before you go, did you, did you hear the announcement yesterday? Oh, she's gone. Well, we lost. I should have told her because Kim is like one of the people that I want to come on the other show, too. So uh, I'll, I'll let her know later. Uh, team phones open 888-900-3393. Uh, definitely could use some backup today on the phone lines. So if you got a moment to call in, talk about anything we've hit today or whatever else you want to say, and we'll be back in a few minutes. 
This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Team, uh, I saw the the news as I was out sick um, about what happened in Yemen. This uh, mission that uh, had ran into difficulties, and and most notably, we lost a, a chief special warfare operator, William Owens, uh, Navy SEAL. So there were over a dozen Al Qaeda uh, terrorists who were killed. Um, that's according to New York Post here, and. This what's interesting to me about this from a policy perspective is that it's now coming out that President Obama uh, could have ordered this could have ordered this raid and, and it, it did involve uh, real Al Qaeda uh, affiliates and and members of Al Qaeda who are doing external plotting and 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 planning against uh, us and our allies around the world and he deferred. And this is exactly what I think we would expect from this administration. Um, or sorry, from the previous administration, rather. Uh, so Donald Trump comes into office and he orders this raid. And going after al-Qaeda in you know, the desert of Yemen is, is going to be a, a risky business. The moment, that you, uh, the moment that you are deploying U.S. soldiers into that kind, of, uh, that kind of situation, you have the possibilities both for losses on our side as as well as civilian casualties. I see here that there are claims of uh, 30 people, including 10 women and children, who were killed, according to the media, although I think the Pentagon disputes that number. Um, but Obama had delayed this. And now we're being told, and I'm sure this is coming from uh, senior officials who are either current or former senior officials who have a pro-Obama disposition. Um, now it's being told that... Uh, Obama delayed for operational reasons because they were waiting for a moonless night. Maybe. It seems to me much more likely that the Obama administration was sitting on this because what really defined Obama when it comes to foreign policy? Uh, what defined his approach to these sorts of uh, situations all over the world? I understand people are going to say, well, Buck, what about the bin Laden raid? There was a meticulous planning that went into that raid and months of preparation uh, one of the aspects of this is not often talked about is that this unlike other raids the seals were able to build they were able to use a full mock-up of the of the house of the facility i mean bin laden was in there and they knew he was in there and they were able to do a tremendous amount of preparation much more than they usually would be able to do in order to uh, get at him and uh, but that so that's that's not an instance of people refer to that as though Obama was the decider, you know, on the spot, making it happen, didn't want to delay. The reality is waited a long time. They waited a long time before that green light was actually given. And here with Trump, I think we see there'll be unfortunately more of these uh, because I'm sure there's intelligence, there's actual intelligence that 
the current administration has in its hands that could have been acted on by the previous administration, but they figured, why take the risk? Why put ourselves in that position? Um, why decide that we're going to be you know, sticking our, our necks out when we could just leave this on for whoever comes after us? This is also something you're going to see in increasingly coming out in news stories with Afghanistan, um, with a number of places around the world. I think Afghanistan's the most prominent one, or the one that's going to be the biggest issue, where Obama just delayed and has left a, a tremendously difficult situation behind for his predecessor. Yeah, Bush, the Iraq War, there were things that were that did not go well. There were decisions that were made that were bad, and I don't have the time to get into those right this second, but you certainly know what they are. And yet... Bush did stabilize Iraq and handed over a stabilized Iraq to his predecessor and did what he thought was necessary with the surge. Um, I'm sorry, not with his predecessor, with his uh, successor. Sorry. I still have the flu. Not the flu, but still recovering. Um, Bush did that because he thought it was the right thing to do. I think Obama made a lot of decisions on national security based upon what he felt was politically expedient. And that's that's people keep talking to me about what a dangerous commander in chief Trump is going to be. And I always kind of look at them and say, you know, we've just had eight years of Obama. And, and now we're going to get lectured about how Trump is going to run everything off the rails. I mean, I'm not saying that Trump isn't a little bit of a, a loose cannon diplomatically and otherwise. But and Obama is sitting around thinking about what does this look like for me and my administration, not what does this do to the security of the United States? I think that's a very dangerous perspective. All right, we got a lot more coming, team. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Emily Zanotti is with us now. Emily is the politics editor at Heat Street. Heatstreet.com is where you'll find her latest magnum opus. What's up, Emily? Not a whole lot. How are you feeling? Oh, man. Brutal, but thank you. Uh, appreciate the backup today. I, I was like, call in the Avengers. And so here you are, Zanotti. Because <laughs> um, I need some I help. It is, it is a. But people can, I'm past the like, now I'm going to be a baby and tell people about my illness. I'm past the throat sore and all that. But now I'm just like that, that like exhaustion where you just don't want to move really. Anyway, it's not, not fun. Like it's tough to do radio like when you're exhausted. molecule of air is like hitting your face. Yeah, it's not the most amazing thing ever. Speaking of amazing things, uh, I did <laughs> not know how bad this, how bad this protest against Milo was until I saw your, the heat street uh, write up you did on this. This was this was bonkers. I mean, they they were like lighting big things on fire, and they yeah. broke into a building, and they had people with shields uh, getting shot with non lethal bullets. I mean, like give some give some color here. This is crazy. Yeah. So this was an all out riot. The University of California Berkeley decided that they didn't want Milo Yiannopoulos, who's a pretty controversial guy, speaking on their campus. 
And so in order to make sure people didn't exercise their free speech, they just decided to burn their whole school down. And between setting things on fire, they fired rockets into the building where Milo was speaking. They sprayed a girl who was wearing a Trump hat with, I believe it was pepper spray. They used a battering ram to get into the building in the first place and then decided to throw rocks and bricks. It was just an all-out melee for probably about two hours. Damn, it's crazy. I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the photos of this stuff. I mean, this is like, uh, yeah. it, it looks like photos of some of the anti-police riots that have happened over the last year, you know, out in Ferguson and Baltimore. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's like fireballs. They took one of those safety lights, like those portable floodlights, and knocked it over, set it on fire, and then they were using that to set trees on fire. I mean, obviously, they were totally calm and rationally opposing Milo's speech. This is insane. So, yeah, people should go to Heat Street and see. You've got some great photos and video there of what happened here. You know, we used yeah. to have, there were, there were dumb protests at Amherst, but usually it didn't involve mm -hmm. the, it only was when the Patriots would win or lose a big game that you had to avoid UMass down the street because things could get crazy over there. But stories for another day. Yeah. Boycott of Marvel over CEO's Trump donations pits social justice warriors against each other. Walk us through this one. This is on HeatStreet.com. Right. So Ike Perlmutter, who's the CEO of Marvel Entertainment, is a big-time Donald Trump donor. He's a huge Donald Trump supporter. He's part of Donald Trump's economic uh, advisory committee, I believe. And he and Steve Mnuchin have been involved in the Marvel Studios movies. But Marvel Studios has also produced this line of feminist kind of social justice warrior comic books where people save the world by finding girl superheroes, things like that. So social justice warriors want to boycott Marvel Entertainment because obviously they're siding with Donald Trump, but then they're worried that they're also going to hurt the social justice warriors who write the comic books. So it's very conflicted. If you go on the site and look at the story, they're back and forth and agonizing over whether they're going to have to ascribe to capitalism for once yeah um mm -hmm. seems like a wait are you still there emily or are you cut off no i'm still here oh there we go okay i, I couldn't i couldn't okay. talk for a second yeah yeah no it's uh you know it's tough to know when when your sjw has to go to 100 um yeah but tell me tell me about stoner to stone thrower filmmaker judd apatow this exchange supporting violent Berkeley protests. What happened here? So last night, as the Berkeley protests were sort of exploding in Southern California, a bunch of Hollywood celebrities, Sarah Silverman, Deborah Messing, and Judd Apatow, who makes all those great, really funny movies, decided to support the protesters who were basically setting fire to UC Berkeley. So he actually sent out a tweet that said something along the lines of, this is only the beginning. Trump supporters should watch out. You're basically next on the agenda. And quickly deleted it, but not before the Internet found it. And basically said, I think you're threatening everybody who voted for or supported Donald Trump with being burned alive like the fires on the UC Berkeley campus. He tried, he tried to apologize, but it was way too late. Man, I mean, Judd Apatow, like, Come on. Doesn't he make movies that are just like stoner giggle movies? Yeah, like Pineapple Express and Knocked Up. and I mean, these are just funny movies. Or they're supposed to be kind of escapist movies about stoners and kids. And, 
yeah, so suddenly he's very political. If you go on his Twitter feed, it's just an endless stream of stuff. Now, I'm just sad about this because usually I would take the opportunity to do a, a, a horrifically amazing Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, but my voice is not up for it today. But we have the governator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, firing yeah. back at Trump after the prayer breakfast insult. What's, uh-oh, Trump v. Schwarzenegger? Yeah. This, this is like something that would yeah. have been from an action movie in the 90s. <laughs> or like a WWE special event or something. Uh, oh, absolutely. So he, yeah, so uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger took over The Apprentice once Donald Trump could no longer do it because he was running for president. And the ratings have basically tanked. Nobody's watching The Apprentice. Nobody cares. I'm not even sure when it's on. And Donald Trump took the National Prayer Breakfast speech that he gave this morning and used it to ask his audience to please pray for Arnold Schwarzenegger because those ratings are really terrible. Arnold Schwarzenegger wow. is not the kind of guy who just takes things sitting down. So he filmed a quick video of himself saying that he'd love to switch places and the Americans could have Arnold Schwarzenegger as president and Donald Trump could go back to The Apprentice. That's like that's some next level trolling when you're when you're trying to bring the Almighty into it, which it seems like he did. He's as at the prayer breakfast, prayer breakfast and he's and he and he's trolling Schwarzenegger at the at, at wow. I I guess they're not friends. There must be something there. There must be some sort of uh, a beef or I guess Trump's greatest success before he was president really was The Apprentice. Yeah, uh, as far as I know, but I mean, Schwarzenegger was, did support John Kasich. Oh, now it yeah. all makes sense. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Supported Kasich? Oof. Yeah, so he was you know instrumental what? in helping Kasich get a foundation in California. So it kind of makes sense now. Yeah, I got to say, now now I'm now I'm actually feeling like Trump was well within his rights <laughs> to go after him on this one. <laughs> Supporting Kasich is just not, it's just not acceptable. It's just not. Um, tell me... Tell me about someone who's leaving the country finally over Donald Trump. That's a thing that's really happening now. It is. Well, they're not really sure where they're going. They're going to be taking several weeks staying in hostels, some place off on Earth. But these are the first two people, a Maryland couple, we've heard of that are actually leaving the country. They promised to leave the country if Donald Trump got elected, and they're packing their bags and selling them home and going to Central America because it's so much better than living in Donald Trump's America. I would love to see what the follow-up story on this is like before they realize. I'm also curious what country in Central America they're going to. I would guess Costa Rica, but um, I I, want to see how long they last before they're like, you know, we kind of miss like Chick-fil-A and 500 channels on, on TV and, you know, being able they to just have Amazon deliver anything you want yeah. within a day. They do say that they're kind of worried that they're losing their social security. So, I mean, they are going to miss the benefits of living here. Wait, so they if you leave the country, you give up your social security? I didn't know that. Apparently, they're saying that they don't want any money from the U.S. government. They're going to be actually making money, documenting their trip, blogging it, hopefully producing a book from this. And oh, okay. So that's why we know about these people. Abroad. This is this is a this right. is a thing. This is, they're making this mm-hmm. into a thing. Uh, yeah. All right. So there's so there's that. Um, what else do we have going on here? Election tampering. WikiLeaks now trying to subvert elections across the globe. Do tell. What's this all about? They say that they had a 
huge success subverting the U.S. election, basically by printing some stuff right before Election Day. So WikiLeaks is now going to try their hand at elections in France, in India, and in the U.K. And so this week, they have produced about 5,000 pages of documents on some of the French politicians who are running for the president spot over there. They're not exactly groundbreaking. At least one of the presidential candidates was hanging out with Hillary Clinton for a little while, but that doesn't really seem to phase the people in France. But they think that they can make a difference. So I guess we'll see. And I got Hillary Clinton here on HeatStreet.com. Desperate for cash, Hillary Clinton to write another memoir and paid speaking tour. She can't really be desperate yeah. for cash, can she? Or is she just always desperate for cash? She's just always desperate for cash. Well, her last memoir, it's... her book with, uh, John, uh, not John Kasich, her book with Tim Kaine only sold about 2,500 copies. So she's probably got to hit the bricks at this point. Wait, her last book sold 2,500 copies? That's yeah, terrible. Her last book, yeah, the one that she wrote on the campaign trail. And people don't even know that this book exists. But there was a I didn't know it existed. With Tim Kaine. <laughs> that she wrote with Tim Kaine that outlined their campaign strategy and their vision for America. And actually, most of the books were purchased by the Hillary Clinton campaign just to get it on the bestseller list one week. And then they never sold another book. It was pretty sad, actually. That. Well, I mean, she's she's, quote, written, I think, 14 books now something like that is that right do you know how many it something is like that i mean yeah. she obviously hasn't really she hasn't really written any of them but no uh she received 14 million dollars for her memoir hard choices that's in, that's just yeah. completely insane yeah that's the single largest up until now the money that she's going to be getting for this book it is it is the single largest advance for a book in history so she is making bank on them but she still says she's desperate. Yeah, I mean, I think Barack's going to get twenty million for his. I was seeing that, so that'll be the biggest advance, yeah. I, I believe, of all time, um, which is not surprising. This, the, the left takes care of their own. I got to give them credit for that. Uh, but do we know what Hillary's speeches are going for now? By the way, because this will be very interesting to see how that shakes out. We haven't seen it. We have a request out to see if she's going to be able to sell any of these speeches. But prior to actually. Running for president, she was banking between two hundred and fifty thousand and three hundred and thirty thousand per speech, plus flying on private airlines financed by the people who book her speech. She requested the presidential suite. She had this great rider with all of these really fancy things on it. So she was living large as a person on the speaking circuit. Her husband, I think, commands somewhere around two hundred thousand. So these are not cheap speeches, and I think she's going to be making a pretty good buck. I'm living a pretty I wonder, nice lifestyle. No, no pun intended there from Zanotti. And uh, I wonder <laughs> what the uh, w w whether we'll see a, a decline because I can understand right after she runs and people think she's so close to winning um, that mm -hmm. she would have a, a sort of surge. But I bet the market will speak on this, and I don't think anyone's really going to care about Hillary Clinton in, in a year. I mean, I think she's going to be in the the hundred k speak speakers uh, circle, which is very different from the two hundred fifty and up also be a really sad speech and i feel like the first couple of speeches are going to be just her crying on stage at the sadness of being beaten by donald trump and then it's going to get really old and nobody's going to want to pay for it anymore 
All right. Emily Zanotti, political editor at Heat Street. Great to have you. Thank you so much for joining. And we'll have you back soon when Buck is uh, 100%. Sound good. Thanks, Emily. Take care. Uh, guys, we got a lot more. 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Interesting. I see this now with a Hollywood reporter that uh, they're moving to sell more booze at movie theaters. I figured this would. This was only a matter of time. I've, I've heard from some people recently who have gone to these sort of high-end movie theaters where you can order food. They have them in New York City now. I don't know if they have them wherever you are listening. I haven't been to one yet, but you can order food and they bring it to you. And you are, um, you know, you just sit there and you make the order happen and you go from there. Um, I, I went to a movie theater, I remember, in Thailand, and it was like big, comfy seats, sort of like airline seats, which was kind of cool. Um, but the problem that I see happening here with adding booze onto the menu at movie theaters is that now, if you're somebody like me who doesn't particularly like it when people start talking and being loud and annoying during movies... I think it's much more likely that is going to happen. You're going to have people that get a little boozed up. And they're going to start getting loud and getting particularly chatty and boisterous during the course of the film. And then there's just going to be uh, some issues that come out of that because people like me go, shh, I don't like hearing all the noise during the movie. Um, I don't like it when I go and I pay and I sit there and I have to hear somebody else's running commentary on the film. And so while I understand that movie theater movie theaters are in trouble in a lot of places, they're trying to up revenue, I think the way you up revenue is you have, you just, have, everyone has to like sign something when they go and they understand that the movie theater becomes a totalitarian environment, sort of like an airplane, in that there are rules, and even if you don't like the rules and the rules seem arbitrary, they will be enforced with Stasi-like zeal and... One of those rules is no talking during the movie. Everyone gets one warning, right? Everyone gets one warning from looking at their phone and one warning for talking. I think if they did that and they enforced quiet in the theater in a real way, they might get me back. But as long as people are going to talk and be annoying and look at their phones and and ruin the experience, uh, booze or no booze, it's not going to be happening for me anytime soon. Team, uh, light up those lines, 888-900-3393, hour three, coming up. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. Welcome to our three in the Freedom Hut today. We're joined by Dan Blumstein. He is a professor at the UCLA Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology 
and the UCLA Institute of the Environment and Sustainability. His seventh book is Ecotourism's Promise and Peril, A Biological Evaluation. But we're going to talk about groundhogs because today is Groundhog Day. Uh, Professor Blumstein, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right. So Punxsutawney Phil, he's known for his prognostication skills. My understanding is that the, the, the pugnacious groundhog from Punxsutawney, too much alliteration there, he came out today and saw his shadow. Where does all this come from? It comes from a, ultimately a pagan holiday in Europe that was um, translated into a, a Catholic holiday, Candlemas Day. Um, Groundhog Day falls halfway between the depths of the winter and spring. So it's a midwinter holiday. It's a midwinter celebration. And in Europe, where it's cold and, and dark in the midwinter, people were looking for some prognostication about you know, whether spring would come sooner or not. And they looked to hibernating animals, um, hedgehogs there. When the Pennsylvania Dutch came over to, uh, the Germans came over to Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Dutch, they were looking for a similar sort of thing they could uh, capture, if you will, and uh, have some predictive ability. So that the, the groundhog up in the Northeast filled the bill. Huh. Okay. And you study, tell us about groundhogs. You're like, a, you're a groundhog expert, are you not? I'm an enthusiast. Uh, there are 15 different species of relatives of groundhogs. Groundhogs are one of the 15 species of marmots. Marmots are big ground squirrels. They live around the northern hemisphere. Many of them live in uh, alpine areas. And uh, these days I run a long-term study where the, the population and the individuals that we've been studying have been followed for uh, the past 55 years. Now, uh, woodchuck, groundhog, names for the same thing, right? Are there other things that people call them? Uh, woodchuck, groundhog, same thing for, for, the, for the marmota monax, one of these 15 species, the one that we celebrate today. Although in Alaska they, sell, they celebrate uh, hoary marmot day um, because they have hoary marmots up there. Maybe it's Alaska marmot, marmots. Anyway, they sell marmot day in Alaska. So a groundhog is a marmot, though? Groundhog is one of the species of marmots, big ground squirrels. Okay, cool. Huh. They're big. How big can they get? I see them upstate at my parents' place sometimes running around, and they, and it's, you know, some of them, when they get moving, they, they've got some momentum going because they, be, uh, they can be robust fellows. Uh, how Groundhogs big can they get? Are big. Groundhogs are big, 15 pounds, big ones, you know, in the, I mean, like a big fat cat um, uh, during, the, during the fall and winter. Um, they put on a lot of weight. These are true hibernators. In fact, marmots are the, the largest of the true hibernators. They have to eat during the summer, and the marmots I study at least double their weight. Um, then they hibernate. They shut down their metabolism, and they go into what's called deep torpor. During this time, they burn about a gram of fat a day, and then they wake up periodically to, to pee, um, or maybe they pee because they wake up. And this is one of those sort of paradoxes of hibernation physiology. Do you wake up to pee, or do you pee because you wake up? And, uh, you know, as I age as a man, I sort of change my mind on this one. But we don't really know. But we do know that when they have these periodic arousals over the winter, they burn a lot more um, fat, but then they're down for you know five, six, seven months uh, at a time. So it's it's pretty cool. Neat Do you get to spend a lot of time with the actual groundhogs? I mean, are they are they nice? Can they be friendly? If you're allowed to have one in a certain state or locality, would they actually make a decent pet, or is that a terrible idea? Yeah. So you know, um, I study them in the wild. I've kept. I, I, I and colleagues have borrowed some from the from the field. Um, to hibernate and study hibernation physiology, but then we brought them back at the end of the winter and put them back where we got them. Um, some people keep them as pets. 
some species are more social than others. The groundhog is the least of the social of the species. They're species that live in around the northern hemisphere, as I said. So in Eurasia, they're much more social. And some of the other North American species are much more social as well. They live in big family groups, sort of like a soap opera. Um, and, you know, mothers live with daughters and uh, brothers stick around for sometimes many years and, and fathers and sometimes there's multiple mating. I mean, it's really, it's a sordid affair. Nonetheless, um, these very social ones, apparently they make nice pets. And, you know, I, I bump into people periodically that um, have had a marmot or a groundhog as a pet. So a prairie dog is a marmot and a relative of a groundhog, is that right? Prairie dogs are another group of species in this radiation of these ground-dwelling squirrels. They're not marmots, they're prairie dogs. Oh, so when marmots. I say marmot, okay. I say big cat-sized things. Prairie dogs are a little smaller. Prairie dogs oh, are very social. Okay. People keep those as pets. Yeah, yeah, and they, all, they, they can make big, there's like uh, colonies of them, right, or whatever you call a prairie dog. Group. I don't we know. used to have cool colonies, you know, over over you know hundreds of square miles, uh, you know, in the West. The the range of prairie dogs is drastically reduced because of urbanization, because of farming, because of hunting. Um, but um, they used to be very very widespread. But they can live in large colonies of you know hundreds to thousands of individuals, but previously millions of individuals. Would you tell me a bit about your uh, your your seventh book? You've written a lot of books. Ecotourism's promise and peril. Um, this is an edited book um, with some colleagues, and what we're doing is we got a bunch of biologists who study um, ecotourism, but also uh, sort of anti-predator behavior and how animals respond to people uh, in a bunch of different contexts and different species. So we have a chapter on marine mammal tourism, we have a chapter on penguin tourism, on bird tourism, and how birds might respond to, to humans. It's a biological evaluation. I mean, we all love ecotourism. Uh, we all go out and are happy to see animals in nature. But uh, the question is, how, what are the negative consequences of this? And what then should best practice be to um, manage those various risks of, of, of... Are there any species in particular of mammal that we feel like people go to visit them, they may be doing more harm than they realize? Well, it sort of depends, and it's all very context-specific. So, you know, riding elephants, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe it's not such a good thing. Uh, TripAdvisor, I believe, doesn't allow you to book trips to ride elephants anymore. Uh, but maybe preserving elephants and having elephant ecotourism in, pla in places where maybe people have no other options to, to make money um, is a good thing. So it's, it's actually hard. We're trying to get the biology out there, and we're trying to sort of say, well, here are the biological costs, but those costs will have to be counterbalanced against social and societal benefits. Huh. And what are the classes, if I may ask, that you teach out at UCLA? You've got an interesting line, of, uh, interesting line of study you have. I teach an animal behavior course, uh, Introduction to Behavior and Ecology. I teach a, I've taught in the past and will be teaching again an ecological ethics course. I teach a field biology course that gets undergraduates um, out into the field our students are great, um, but they learn, they, they consume knowledge. So in this field biology course, we get them to create knowledge and really learn by doing. And a whole bunch of these well, projects, 80% get published. It's good stuff. It's tell fun. me about the, uh, the animal, animal behavior class. Is that, is that sort of like, uh, I mean, to an outsider, it's, you know, knowing when the tiger is about to jump at you out of the tall grass, right? <laughs> what kind of stuff do you study? Well, I do. I study any predator behavior and social behavior, but you know, oh, you do. Okay, yeah. yeah so that makes sense. I'm interested in that. I, I want to know about when tigers are jumping at me too. 
Um, but, I mean, the whole academic study of behavior is one of why do we see differences? Why do animals do different things? Why do birds sing? Why do some birds sing and not others not sing? Why do we see different mating systems? And then a whole line of my research takes this knowledge about this diversity of behavior we see. What are the ecological conditions under which behaving a certain way might be good or bad? And then translates that and says, okay, well, how does this influence um, the, uh, the ability of a population to persist or grow? Or what happens when we start urbanizing areas? Or how can we recover species from extinction by translocating them, moving them back into areas? And how does behavior, knowledge of behavior, influence this? Hmm. That's some cool stuff. Where can people, do you have some lectures online, or where should people go for your, for your work? Uh, my website's online, and uh, papers are there to download, and there's some videos and interviews and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, what is, the, what yeah. is the website, Professor Blumstein? Uh, if you Google marmots and Blumstein, you'll find me. But it's, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, I can spell it out if you'd like. No, no, no. We could. We, we, that, that'll do. Everybody could hear it now live, and they'll hear it on the podcast too. Professor yeah. Blumstein of UCLA, um, thank you for the uh, info on groundhogs and everything else. We appreciate it. Appreciate you coming by. Thanks for having me. Uh, phone lines are open, guys. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. We'll be back right after the break. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. All right, team, we've got some calls up. David in Texas. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Shields high. Hey, Shields high, David. Hey, I wanted to kind of get, uh, you know, your opinion on this, but I think people, when they look at Trump, they may be kind of looking at him from the wrong point of view. Um, you know, the way he does things with his executive orders and you know, the people that he's bringing into his cabinet and, you know, even the uh, executive order on immigration. Um, he's a businessman. He's not a politician. He's not going to act like a politician. You know, I'm a VP of a, an investment group. We do acquisitions and we're reorganizations from time to time. And it's not our job to go in there and act like the last owner of the company. It's our job to inject our people get our culture going as fast as we can and start knocking down, you know, low-hanging fruit. So, you know, when I see the way he's acting, I just see him acting like the CEO of a company, not necessarily a, you know, politician that's really concerned about what others think. I mean, hell, he's got a mandate, you know, because people put him in office and he's taking care of business. I think I think you're you're uh, right on target with this. I think a lot of people across the country, even those who weren't necessarily Trump voters, are willing to look at this and say, "Okay, how's he doing? Is he making improvements uh, to the government, to the system, to governing in general? Is he keeping his promises? It's it's all really it should be judged by execution and results. It shouldn't be this uh, this constant." you know, back and forth over the tone and the specific verbiage of every little thing that he says. I, I think a lot of people have gotten to a point where they don't really care about that. And if Trump is able to get it done, that's what's going to matter. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I think that, you know, yeah, if, if he's a good CEO, he's going to keep the scorecard of himself. 
he's going to look at that every morning when he gets out of bed and determine whether he's doing a good job or not. He's not going to get up and say, hey, am I a good politician or did I do what I was mandated to do? You know? Yeah, no, I to- look, I totally, totally agree with you. And uh, I think that's. Um, I think that's the way that, you know, I, that's the way I'm going to be judging Trump's administration. And I think a lot of others are following suit, too, because when you when you look at this, OK, so, you know, Bush, Obama, they they did things the way that they were largely expected to as presidents. Right. And I, I think we could obviously I, I think Bush was well, he's much more ideologically in line with me than Obama is. But even as a person, I, I find it easier to look at the good intentions of bush uh you know over the sort of social justice proclivities of the obama administration but you know they both they did it the way the press wanted them to more so obama than bush what does that get us what does it really matter uh i hear i hear a lot of whining about the dignity of the office all the time and i want to say you know bill clinton not exactly a dignity of the office enhancer uh, we, we we're we're at a point now where I think we're sick of fighting over that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there is something to be said for the dignity of the office. I mean, there are some moments where I, you know, I cringe a little bit, and you can see, you know, some awkwardness and some of the things that he says and does. I'm I'm not saying, yeah, I mean, David, I hear I'm not saying throw that out the window and it doesn't matter. I just mean. You know, are we going to fight? We're going to fight about this is the way Trump is. We're going to we're going to complain about this every day. We're going to get you know, I mean, like at some point. It's just well, what what are we doing? I mean, let's see what the guy does. This is the way that he speaks. This is the way that he tweets. This is who he is. He's the president. I just don't think it's worthwhile to spend to spin our wheels too much over. He's got his own way of doing things. Uh, yeah. You know, and a lot yeah. of a lot of politicians have that flexibility where they can, you know, they're like a. A goose. They wake up in a new city every day. I mean, Trump's been the same since day one. You know, he's just Trump. So, yeah. you know, at least we know what to expect when we wake up in the morning. Yeah, people accept his 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 shortcomings are part of the package. I I suppose might be the best way I could put it. And and a lot of a lot of those out there, I think, see that and think about it, and they're like, all right, you know, I'm on board. Anyway, David in Texas, man, Shields High. Thank you for calling in. I'm trying to avoid because I'm still. Thank you very much. Um, Appreciate it. Uh, I'm trying to avoid sounding like the guy. uh, I'm sorry. What do you say, uh, Shimon? It's okay. Oh, okay. Um, A a lot of. uh, I'm trying to make sure I don't sound like the guy from Best in Show, who's the hostage negotiator. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about, but uh, the the character who has the Norwich Terrier. Uh, with his wife goes to visit his wife Cookie I think is her name goes to Best in Show is a fantastic movie and he goes to visit some friend of hers and she's a she has a um, to put it delicately a checkered past and she goes to see a guy and it's like an ex-boyfriend of her an ex-fling of hers and it's very if you haven't seen Best in Show it's a great movie it's a very very funny movie but the guy is also a hostage negotiator and he's sitting over dinner and before they get into some awkward discussion about the other guy's wife, uh, he goes, well, let me tell you, there's a secret here. They all jump. <laughs> I'm just like, he's so dark. And even you've got to watch the scene to see, you know, to see how this goes down. But he's obviously the worst hostage negotiator ever. And he actually tries to negotiate his son out of a tree. 
uh, as he goes, this is what I do, honey. And he goes, I'm going to jab your th- your eye out with my thumb. So he's clearly the whole bit is that he's the worst Hodgson's negotiator uh, you could ever you could ever find. But I'm trying not to fall into that where I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, what could you do, everybody? The world's got a lot of problems. You know, when you've been when you've been sick for a solid week, um, it's you start to think in those terms. You're like, what are you going to do? You know, eh, life, it's difficult. I'm just kidding. I'm going to be all rays of sunshine tomorrow. I'll be feeling much better, too. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Corey in Ohio, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Oh, we lost Corey. My bad. Steve in, where's Steve from? Steve in Michigan, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Good to have you. Hey, thanks, Buck. Uh, congratulations on your soon-to-be new gig coming up, too, and all. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I don't think anybody's really addressed this, but after the rental mobs there over the weekend in these airports and all, bear in mind, just a few weeks ago in Fort Lauderdale in the baggage claim area, this piece of you-know-what gets off an airplane and shoots up a bunch of people, and all that you heard was all this crying about lack of airport security and baggage claim, and anybody can walk in there and do what they did, and blah, blah, blah. And I just... And again, nobody seems to address this. How were these rent-a-mobs allowed inside the airport and or outside the airport causing traffic snarls? I mean, these they're major thoroughfares. I mean, it'd be like getting on a train and doing the same thing or stopping trains on the tracks and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how did this happen? Well, I, I mean, if it's at the if it's at the uh, the arrivals area, can anybody kind of show up there? I, that's yeah, well, where, where, where it it, yeah, well, the departure arrivals there and baggage claim was where this guy in at yeah baggage claim was. arrivals, right, right, and all. But I mean, this is a mob. I mean, good lord, if something bad would have happened, I mean, who would have taken the blame for that one? You know, Pocahontas and his and a red mob out there. I mean, these airports it's tough enough to get through. You've flown enough. I've. I finally stopped flying after '09. I'd had enough of it, and uh, it just, God, it just, it, it amazes me that they didn't just broom these people out of there or not even allow them into the airport without having at least some airport business there. I guess would be a, you know, picking up somebody or whatever. Well, you know, they run into the, they if they start trying to remove people, they run into the whole First Amendment issue, and if it's a public space. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, also, what do these people think they're really accomplishing by mobbing these airports in this way? But, you know, it's, it's I mean, social justice warrior, it's, it's the game you get to play where it's always fun for you and somebody else is always taking care of your mess, right? So it's, it's uh, all, about, all about virtue signaling all the time. Uh, but, Steve, man, good to, uh, good to have you on. Thank you for calling in. Appreciate the uh, vocal backup today with many calls from you and from others. Uh, Shields high. Uh, we've got to talk about Iran, I think, coming up here. We've got something something brewing there in the news that I want to make sure we all hit together. And uh, then we're going to be closing up the show for today. And I'll be back tomorrow, and hopefully my voice and everything else will be back too. So, whew, it's a tough one today, team. Um, back in a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is buck the Buck here. Sexton Show. Uh, team, we're going to get into a Buck Brief now. Shimon, hit it, please, when you get a second. Do we have a Buck Brief? Oh, we're getting it. It's coming. Hold on. Fingers crossed, everybody. Let's give it a second. This is a lot of buildup for a Buck Brief. They've heard it before. Do you want to just bag it? We can just bag it. We could say forget it. Okay, we're going to say forget it. We can't get the buck brief. We're joined now by Fred Flights. He's a former CIA analyst, a senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy, which is a Washington, D.C.-based think tank, and he's the author of the new book, Obama Bomb, A Dangerous and Growing National Security Fraud. Uh, Fred, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Hey, Buck, good to be here. So Iran tested a nuclear-capable cruise missile, according to uh, Reuters here. What's, what's going on? Bring us up to speed on all things Iran. Well, Iran has been, its behavior has grown significantly worse since this uh, breakthrough nuclear agreement, supposedly breakthrough nuclear agreement, was announced by President Obama in July 2015. Remember, this agreement was supposed to make Iran our friend and improve Iranian behavior and reduce the threat from Iran's nuclear program. None of that was true, and Iran's behavior actually grew worse. What's interesting now is that the Iranian regime, after just ignoring Obama. They're now testing the Trump regime, and the Trump regime has indicated they're not going to stand for it. What do you think the Trump response, the Trump team response should be to these latest Iranian actions? Well, you know, I've been watching MSNBC and CNN. I mean, I forced myself to watch all this drivel because I want to be well-informed. And they're annoyed because they don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know. And the Iranians don't know. And that's good. The fact is, everything's on the table. With Obama, we knew all kinds of things weren't on the table. We knew he wasn't going to do anything militarily. He wasn't going to increase sanctions. He was so predictable, which is why the world walked all over Barack Obama. With Trump, we don't know. Is he going to authorize maybe airstrikes against the sites where these missiles are are being launched from? Missiles were launched against ships uh, in, in the Red Sea. Uh, against U.S. ships on one occasion, against UAE ships on another occasion. Maybe we're going to take out those sites. I don't know. But I have to tell you that the perception of American weakness, we know, is inherently destabilizing and led to the current disaster situation in the Middle East. And I think the perception of American strength under Trump is going to improve international security. Now, you served, uh, I see here in your bio, for 25 years at the CIA, DIA, State Department, House Intelligence Committee staff. So you've been all over the the community, uh, the IC, as people broadly term it. There's this narrative out there, there's a feud going on between Trump and the IC. I've been trying to tell people that this is really actually just a feud between Trump and some very senior appointees who like to leak things about the Trump administration to the press and that has nothing to do with the rank-and-file members of the IC. But I do sense that there are some uh, some bureaucrats, not even necessarily on the intelligence community side of things, that are actively anti-Trump and seeking to undermine the administration. I wanted your, your take on, on all of that. Well, I mean, from my time in government, I know that career federal employees don't like Republicans. Not all of them, but quite a few of them. We also know that uh, what are the professors like in the national relations departments? They're liberals, and, and these people tend to find jobs in foreign relations positions. We know there's a terrible temptation by State Department and CIA people to 
side with the fashionable foreign policy establishment because they like to work for Harvard someday and they like to teach. So Trump comes in at a disadvantage. The fact that he's been so strong on issues such as radical Islam really has made him an enemy of many at the CIA and at the State Department. I don't think the, most career, careers are against him, but I think a lot of the career uh, senior managers who were promoted by the Obama administration and the CIA and other organizations, they are determined to stop Trump. And I think that it's going to take a great deal of leadership to uh, put things in order. Other than Bannon, Trump's senior advisor, who Time Magazine now is uh, has on its cover, uh, you have a lot of the, the Democrats in the left particularly, uh, let's say, energized about the role of General Flynn as national security advisor. He's just said that Iran is on notice after this most recent missile test. What do you what do you think about Flynn in this role? There's is, is there a lot of exaggeration about his uh, let's say, bureaucratic shortcomings? Uh, are you worried about his temperament, his ties to Russia? Or do you think that's a lot, of, a lot of hoopla? I think the temperament thing was invented by people who don't like Flynn. Flynn didn't like the fact that DIA analysis of ISIS and Iraq was being distorted to make it look like Obama policies were succeeding. I think that he had the right uh, approach there. Uh, I don't have a problem that Trump has people on his team that want to try to find a way to be tough with Russia and to find a way to also cooperate with it. After all, it has the largest nuclear stockpile on Earth. I don't think Flynn's uh, uh, judgment has been clouded because he's had interactions with Russia today. He's done a lot of international TV um, interviews. We may have a situation here where we will have a very powerful NSC like we did in the days of Henry Kissinger. And that doesn't mean that Reggie Tillerson won't be active in running foreign policy, but I think Flynn will be very, very prominent. Um, so you think Flynn will be doing a uh, – Flynn so far can be has been doing a pretty good job. Uh, what, it was your, uh, what was your sense of the Yemen raid? I'm seeing now that it's, it's been said that the Obama administration delayed on this one. There were some civilians that were killed in the crossfire. This was going after al-Qaeda targets in Yemen. We know al-Qaeda in Yemen has been particularly active in external plotting going back for many years, external plotting against the U.S. and against uh, Western allies. So this was a raid that, what, the Obama administration just put on hold? Does it seem like it came off, um, that, that there are just risks inherent in these things? What was your what was your sense of it? Well, a lot in the media are saying that the Trump administration thought this up and there were problems and they moved too hastily. That's not the case. This particular raid had been planned a long time ago, and it was sitting on the shelf. The Trump administration decided to pursue it, and I think it reflects the more aggressive approach they're going to take. ISIS is not the only radical Islamist threat on Earth. Al-Qaeda is still a problem, especially Al-Qaeda in the AQAP, which is present in Yemen. Um, and I, I just think we're going to see more raids like this. And what are you putting at the at the top of the national security challenges that are confronting the, the Trump team right now. What what for you is foremost in your mind? Well, I mean, Trump wants to wants to destroy ISIS and take out radical Islam. But I think before we do that, and and, and I mean, you know this well from your time in government, there has to be an internal policy process to look at the intelligence, to assess the threat, to consult with our allies, and to come up with a strategy for, to defeat ISIS and to, to restore stability in the Middle East. That gives Trump a range of options to, to see how much risk he's prepared to take. He doesn't want to send 
U.S. troops into Syria and Iraq, okay. But I think we have to look at all the various options on how to deal with this, various options on preparing uh, alliances, hopefully with NATO, and see where we are. All right. And uh, what about the NSC reorg, by the way? That got a lot of uh, play earlier in the week. It was surprising, the role that Bannon's playing. Uh, I'm happy that the CIA director will again be present as a member of the NSC. He, he, uh, he was not present in, under the last administration. It is my hope that uh, CIA will play a primary role there, and I'm sure I hope you agree with me that it's time to get rid of the director of national intelligence and make the CIA once again the, the director, uh, basically make the CIA director the director of central intelligence, get rid of the uh, uh, um, uh, the DNI. Yeah, I've thought that since I worked there in two thousand. Since I started working there in two thousand five, it's <laughs> like what is what is this? The amount of energy. If people, if the taxpayer only knew the amount of energy that was put into the bureaucratic turf battles and infighting between the various three letter agencies, including some of the newest ones, and then you throw NCTC in there, and it's just complete nonsense. Yeah, enormous duplication, waste, and it's made intelligence much less effective and much more risk averse. Yeah, I, I have to, I'm wondering why it is that, oh, but the uh, the other part of this, right, was that they weren't going to have the DNI and the chairman of the JCS in the, what was it, the, in the, the principal's committee of the NSC or the deputy committee, uh, committee of the NSC. They changed the structure of it somehow. Media all of a sudden was Googling this, making a big deal of it. Doesn't seem to me like uh, this has legs, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, the Secretary of Defense is already there. I don't know why they just made that decision on the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who's supposed to come as needed. I think I don't know why the DNI would be there. I think the CIA director should be there as the director of Central Intelligence. Um, but I think there will be some adjustments made at, uh, to this whole thing. So far, how would you grade the Trump administration on its uh, on its on its picks and its posture, at least on national security? I think the picks were extraordinary, especially at defense and homeland security and CIA. Uh, I, I think, it, I mean, they were, fab, they were fabulous choices. And I think um, it's a positive trend line. I think there were some mistakes coming in. But this is such a, 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 a revolution with this group of people from outside the government completely changing policies that had been so far to the left. I, I think there were going to be some missteps, and I, I think that they're going to be taken care of fairly quickly. All right. We'll have to see how this shakes out. Fred Flights is a former CIA analyst, a senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy. He's at Fred Flights on Twitter. Fred, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, sorry, I, I'm suffering from the flu, so I'm a little under the weather, but uh, would love to have you back another time soon. Nice talk to you. Thanks. Uh, team phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Well, team, thank you for uh, sticking with me today while I was making a, a comeback here. It's still, I'm still a little shaky, and given that I've taken on a whole new plate of responsibility starting next week, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be quite a ride. It's going to be a busy, a busy time for the for the Buck man here. I, I had 
I think at least two requests, originally three, to do Fox News today, and I just had to be like, no, sorry guys, I'm I'm in no shape for Fox News right now, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully Monday I'll be good to go. Um, so I've got I've got plans on all of that, and um, I would really like as many of you as possible to uh, to join me starting Monday, 6 to 9 as well. That'd be great. Uh, you can also just uh, download the podcast. I'll have more instructions for you and details and all that uh, as, as that gets closer or as it happens, I suppose. Some of it will be uh, figuring it out as, as we go. Um, but those of you who are listening to the show who are feeling pretty good today, have your health, man, you've got a lot, let me tell you. Because when you are really knocked out of it, uh, it, is, it is tough. It is tough to get it all done when you are feeling physically uh, like you're you're struggling a lot. I see here that uh, Bill Gates to finish this off today. Bill Gates is going to be worth. Wait, no way. Is this really? Oh, I guess so. Microsoft founder Bill Gates is set to become the world's first trillionaire, despite his efforts to give this away. He's going to be a trillionaire within 25 years. I have to say, I, I don't. How hard is it, really, to give away money? <laughs> I feel like I give away money and I don't even want to give away money. Um, so I don't really understand why that's not something that's easy to do. <laughs> I'm giving, I don't want, I, I wish I, when I say give away money, I'm not talking about the charity. I mean like spending money. But I feel like it's always, um, you know, I feel like it's always possible to find a way, to, you know, just write a, Write a $100 billion check to the Red Cross, right? Well, how hard is this? I don't know. It seems to me like a, a problem that can't really be a problem. Uh, right now, Bill Gates is worth $75 billion. Uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money. That's true, for sure. That's, that's some cash. Number two, this is all according to The Sun. Uh, the Zara owner, I think he's Spanish, of, uh, his name is Amancio, Amancio Ortega, is worth $53 billion. Warren Buffett is worth $60 billion. Carlos Slim is worth $50 billion. Jeff Bezos is worth $45 billion. Zuckerberg is right, right there also at $45 billion. So is Larry Ellison. Bloomberg's at, wow, Bloomberg's $40 billion? It's amazing. It's amazing to me that that guy's worth $40 billion and would want to spend, um, would want to spend his time as mayor of New York City, a, a job that, even as a born and raised New Yorker, I'm not sure I'd want to have. But yeah, these guys, the, the amount of money they have put together and the, the way that wealth now, if you're truly wealthy in this globally elite way, uh, the mechanisms you have at your disposal, the things you can do, it's, it is pretty incredible. Uh, but anyway, Bill Gates, they say he's, I don't know, how is he going to be a trillion? He's only 75 billion. He's not going to make you a trillion dollars. This is nonsense. Uh, I, I, I object, Your Honor. Um, this of course also ties into a lot of the, you know, uh, social justice warrior stuff you're going to see that is, um, they'll, they'll look at the top 100 richest people in the world and say they have more wealth than the, I forget what the statistic is, but I think it's the top 50 or top 100 richest have more wealth than the next two or 3 billion. It's considerable, but that's because a large portion of the world is still completely impoverished and it has effectively no assets. So... I don't know. It's on days like today where I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to just have like a team of people that are paid to wait on me hand and foot while I get better. I don't have to worry about anything. Instead, I've got a jackhammer out my window. I'm going to be doing like a bajillion hours of radio a day starting next week. 
and I'm hoping I don't pass out and smack my face on my desk during one of these shows. Um, but I won't. You know why? Because of all you. Because you prop me up. You propel me forward. You are my squad, my team, my crew. And uh, that's why I'm back here today on the show, because I still am having a rough one. But I love all of you, so I had to come hang out, and I'll be back tomorrow. Um, as always, team, Shield Tide. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.